Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is October 11th. I'm Steven Massa. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be going over my recap of the game between the Miami Dolphins and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, as usual this season, unfortunately, my little disclaimer, again, I don't hate the team. I'm not trying to be too negative. I don't get any sort of joy out of being this way or anything. It's just comes with the team playing poorly. We have to discuss a lot of negative elements. So that's going to be talked about in today's episode. So to get right into it, the Dolphins lost their fourth straight game of the season this week. It was to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it was by a score of 45 to 17. The Dolphins with this fall to one and four on the season and again even though this was a game where 99.999% of people figured that Tampa Bay was going to win it was just the manner in which the Dolphins played that was kind of demoralizing in this one in summary though the offense looked like they came alive in this game and when I say that do I mean they came alive like the Kansas City Chiefs or they came alive like the Los Angeles uh, Chargers or something like that no but it was an offensive performance that it was unlike the ones we've been seeing so far this season. However, though, in this game, this was one where the defense, on the other hand, didn't show up. As mentioned in the preview piece, the Buccaneers have a ridiculous amount of weapons at their disposal offensively, but seeing some of the talent on Miami's secondary get torched at the end of the day was pretty disheartening. The defensive side of the ball here was supposed to be the strength of the team. That is where Brian Flores is supposed to shine. Some of the defensive players here are supposed to be elite, which is why Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, Jerome Baker all got big contracts, yet we saw not enough production from those guys in this game. So let's take a closer look at this game. As previously mentioned, the Dolphins offense came out pretty good in this game. Preston Williams was the main beneficiary early on in this one. He recorded 55 yards on that opening drive. He had this very nice tiptoe catch along the sideline, which was reminiscent of his rookie season where a lot of people are saying that we had a hidden gem here in Preston. Preston Williams. However, he would finish the game with only three catches for 60 yards. So again, 55 yards on the opening drive, but finish with 60 on the day. Miles Gaskin ended up having his best game of the season in this one, with the Dolphins finally electing to give him the highest amount of volume among the running backs here in this group. So he had 25 yards rushing on five carries, you know, nothing special, five yards per carry, but it was through the air where he added a ton of value, 10 catches for 74 yards and two touchdowns. Again, very impressive outing from Miles Gaskin. I will get into more of that when we get to the takeaways. Uh, tight end Mike Kosicki, a decent performance in this one. He brought in 43 yards on four catches, but I will say his effort after the catch looked impressive. Still, at the end of the day, you would hope to see those numbers a little bit higher, but a decent performance nonetheless. Rookie Jalen Waddle finished with only two catches for 31 yards. He had an opportunity here for a bigger catch, but he was held back on a, a defensive pass interference play but in this one he did also have a few mistakes he dropped a pass in the end zone that really wouldn't have mattered because it was offensive pass interference but he also dropped a pass that was then tipped up into the air and led to an interception for Tampa so overall it's hard to say it was a great game from Jalen Waddle here so with the Dolphins missing both Devontae Parker and Will Fuller the team elected to activate you know drum roll here Isaiah Ford. Uh. 
which was extremely disappointing. He only had one catch for three yards. Many people were frustrated. They thought the Dolphins would elect to bring up Kirk Merritt instead, and they were also frustrated because if you think back, Lynn Bowden Jr. could not be activated due to him being placed on IR before the season. So overall, I mean, that's just very disappointing. Now, the offensive line here has been one of the biggest storylines for Miami so far this season. As mentioned in the preview, it wouldn't have been shocking at all if the Dolphins moved Austin Jackson from tackle to guard, and that is actually what they elected to do in this game. Eichenberg took over for Jackson at left tackle, and Austin Jackson was moved to left guard. Was the unit spectacular as a whole after this game? I mean, no, but at least right now in this game, it resembled a functional offensive line. It allowed there to be something to work with, which is what we were all at least hoping for. Jackson still had some mistakes. There was this one play where Jacoby Brissett ended up getting stripped. Initially, I thought Eichenberg was beat, but it just seems like it was more a product of uh, Austin Jackson being pushed back in uh, to Brissett. However, though, moving him to guard seemed to ease some of that responsibility and helped him succeed more as a blocker, especially on runs. As for Liam Eichenberg, he didn't look spectacular by any means, but he was nowhere near the liability that Austin Jackson was at that position. Jesse Davis, on the other hand, continues to be disappointing, but at this point in the season, I mean, what other options do the team have? They continuously elect to uh, have uh, Greg Little as inactive, so that must be saying something about what they view from him, but at the end of the day, it's got to be something better here than Jesse Davis's performance. Now, we move on here to the defense. It was a defeating effort defensively for this team. The Dolphins' defense simply just got exposed in this game. It hurt worse because the players in this one who were getting exposed for the Dolphins were their best players, their highest paid, their veteran players. It was those guys getting exposed. Xavier Howard, to start off, got torched by Antonio Brown twice. Once on a crossing route that he took for a 62-yard touchdown. The other play was on a drag route in the end zone. Brown would end up finishing this game seven catches for 124 yards and two touchdowns. Now, Mike Evans, on the other hand, had the upper hand on Byron Jones. He came down with a 34-yard reception where he snuck behind Byron Jones. Evans would finish this game six catches, 112 yards and two touchdowns. Now, uh, to talk about this, as suggested in the preview, Jones's athleticism, I thought, made him the likely matchup against Mike Evans, while Antonio Brown's ability as a route runner made him the matchup uh, more against a more technically sound guy like Xavier Howard. And despite that, though, they just ended up being too much for these guys to cover. Now, I will say, people keep saying Antonio Brown is back. Antonio Brown is back. But to me, Antonio Brown never left. He had some off-the-field issues that kept him from playing football, but it's not like he ever regressed. He was never washed up. The narrative that he was some third option for Tampa is just really comical to think of. This is still one of the most talented guys in the entire league at the position, and just because he took a season away from football doesn't automatically mean that he is not the same guy that he was. Now, to continue with the Dolphins' defense, outside of a tackle for a loss and some good stops from Jalen Phillips, 
The Dolphins' front, I thought, in this game was just overall not impressive. Leonard Fournette was able to gash the Dolphins' defense. He picked up 67 yards on 12 carries. Fournette also added 43 yards through the air. He was primarily taking advantage of a mismatch with Jerome Baker, who really struggled in coverage throughout this game. Jerome Baker also got beat badly by Gio Bernard on an angle route in the red zone, turned into a 10-yard touchdown on that play. The Bucks' 121 rushing yards in this game was their most of the season. Their 437 passing yards was also the most they've had this season. Overall, not a good performance. Receiver Chris Godwin led the team in targets with 11. He reeled in seven of those for 70 yards. And then one more little heartbreaking note here is that the Dolphins' turnover streak came to an end. The streak ends right here after 26 games. Now, to get into my takeaways from this one, the first takeaway I have here is actually a good one. And I think it's that Austin Jackson being moved to guard worked today. This was one of the more difficult fronts in all of football, if not not the most difficult front against them in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the offensive line at least looked functional in this game. It's too early for me to say whether Jackson will be able to capitalize and really become a formidable long-term solution at this spot, but for the immediate future, this works. So don't rock the boat next week. Keep him at the guard position. My next takeaway here is that Miles Gaskin needs all the touches. Seriously, it's mind-blowing how he wasn't getting more touches, and as a matter of fact, to me, it's infuriating. Gaskin is still averaging 4.9 yards per carry and he adds a ton of value as a receiving back. The team still seems weary of using him as a workhorse back, but at this point, just why not? Give him give him the ball on the ground. Give him the passes. Let the man just go to work. Malcolm Brown shouldn't touch the field unless it's an obvious run or a goal line situation and Savan Ahmed shouldn't be on the field unless Gaskin is gassed and I say that with no pun intended. And as for the argument people are making on Dolphins Twitter that I've seen throughout the entire course of the season. We need a stud running back. We need a stud running back. You know, guys, after seeing the secondary in this game get torched, after seeing the defensive front get exposed, the offensive line got hammered so far all throughout the season, the receiver group is currently falling apart with injuries. It just makes no sense to me to look at all of that and say that Gaskin is the guy who needs to be replaced here, that the Dolphins need a better running back. After seeing all those elements of the team get exposed, I just can't see pointing out the running back position and saying, yeah, that's the area that needs to be addressed first. That needs to be a priority. Sure, could you do better there? Of course, but look at all the other areas on this team that are more costly. Uh, the next takeaway I have here is that uh, this game is priming Tua Tungavailoa for a savior moment, and I can't say for certain whether Tua will be able to capitalize on it, whether the team will make a massive leap when he returns from his injury, but the opportunity at the very least is going to be there. If Tua is able to take this offense to a level that they haven't been at over the past decade, at a moment right now where the morale is at an all-time low, he can win over fans, not just from the Dolphin uh, fan base, but from across the entire league. This is a very big savior moment for Tua. Now, the next takeaway I have here is that the Dolphins aren't legitimate contenders this year. And this may be a little bit late to say. Some people are saying, oh, you're just now realizing it. I'm saying it now because this was the Dolphins' last opportunity to really turn things around for the 2021 season. Most people I know already expected a loss here, but there just being such a big gap from the Dolphins and what we just saw in an elite Buccaneers team just really shows that it may be out of the cards for this year. Their schedule eases up over the 
the next couple of weeks, and they may be able to salvage some wins that make their record look better or instill some sort of a feel-good sentiment. But as for whether they can compete with teams like the Chiefs, the Bucks, the Bills, the Packers, you know, teams like that, it just seems too far-fetched based off what we've seen. Now, another takeaway I have here is that barring some sort of incredible turnaround, Chris Greer's future seems sealed for me, and Brian Flores is already under pressure. We've seen some of the questionable decisions look bad now for several weeks already, but this one may be one of the worst weeks to have those decisions really showcased in the headlines because you have Justin Herbert. He threw for 400 yards and had five total touchdowns, and he looks unstoppable. He has 14 passes of 40-plus yards in his career. Tua has yet to record a single one. Noah Igbenogany, once again, your former first-round pick last year, a healthy scratch again, despite the team trading their punt returner and having their starting cornerback, Byron Jones, dealing with an injury. Meanwhile, you have Trayvon Diggs, who was drafted the same draft class after Noah Igbenogany, and he is having a defensive player of the year caliber season. And then as for Brian Flores, he's supposed to be the defensive guru, yet the defense isn't playing anywhere near as elite as they were last season. He is beginning to walk a very, very thin line here where he may develop a reputation of being a defensive guru the same way that Adam Gase was a quarterback guru. So of course, that is not good at all. Now, before we wrap up today's episode, there is an important note that a lot of people are very kind of concerned about on Twitter, and it was uh, coming from Tua's training facility. During the offseason, many people may remember that Tua looked a lot more improved in terms of his physique. Uh, Many people attributed that to his training, and that was done at a place called Perform. That is in South Florida. Their social media account was posting a bunch of videos showing him either doing mobility drills or him doing weightlifting, but now that same account is posting with a much different kind of tune. After the loss to the Buccaneers, the account went onto Twitter and they posted this quote. They said, Ross is pissed. Team is bad. But if Tua wins the next game against the Jags, it's for sure the defense and Flores is coaching. The kid deserves better. He got the S word end of the stick and above all has succeeded. Maybe not your idiotic opinion, but the numbers don't lie. Close quote. Then a fan kind of replied to this tweet and they said that the players quit on the team and perform again to his training facility replied saying, quote, quit. This coach is hard to even talk to. How much harder do you think he is to play for? Child, please close quote. So again, it's unsure who is tweeting from the account and whether they have maintained any sort of connections with Tua, but many fans are really worried that this could detail some conversations that are already occurring within some inner circles around the team. So guys, I would love to know what you guys think about all of this. I know it has been a very disheartening start to the season. I'm right there in the same boat with you guys, and I wish it could have gone a different way. But overall, you can feel free to reach out to me on Twitter to just vent, to discuss uh, some of your points, have any questions. I would uh, love to talk about them in future episodes. As always, you can send them on Twitter, at ShadySteven and at ViaTheSource. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. It would help a ton, and I greatly appreciate when you guys do that. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Steven Masso, and this was Via the Source.